Hello and welcome to Right Now, a podcast brought to you by the Broadleaf Writers Association based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm your host, Zachary Steele, and on today's episode, I'm glad to welcome literary agent Lauren Spieler for an in-depth conversation on the do's and don'ts of writing query letters. Lauren Spieler is a literary agent with Folio Literary Management and also the author of two novels, Your Destination is on the Left and She's the Worst. You can follow Lauren on Twitter, X or X Twitter, however we want to call it, and Instagram, or you can also visit her website at laurenspieler.com. To learn more about Lauren's wishlist, you can find her on the Folio Literary Management website or publishersmarketplace.com. Hi there, Lauren. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Zach. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Um, so I want to make sure that we get through as much as we possibly can, because we're talking about something very important here in query letters. And um, what what the plan here is, is just sort of talk about what a query letter is and, and what elements you're looking for in it. And then you have brought some examples for us to, to go through that actually worked for you and clients that um, I believe you mentioned have been published, correct? Yeah, I have a handful of really great ones and I can, at the end of each one, I can tell you the title this was actually published under. So I'm excited. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, let, let's, let's start at the beginning, you know, cause uh, we want to make sure that we're, we're addressing query letters from a sort of what is it standpoint. So for you, what, what is a query letter and, and why is it so important that one is constructed correctly? So a query letter is a cover letter. It is the email these days uh, that you send an agent or a publisher uh, that, that pitches your book. So it should do a couple different things. It should introduce the book, where the book would sit on shelves, and a little bit about you. And it's important because most agents make their decision about whether they want to read your sample pages based on your query letter. So sometimes we will read the pages no matter what the query letter is about, but most of the time that is like the first step. And if the query doesn't appeal to us or doesn't feel like it's been thoughtfully constructed, we might not get to the sample pages. So it's really important for your query letter to be uh, well-written and representative of your book. Yeah. And there, um, obviously this is such a subjective industry that what, what is in one query letter is going to appeal to one agent and maybe not 12 others, but, um, but there are some, some elements of query letters that are, are very common that you look for. And I kind of wanted to go through each of these and get your take on what they are and why they're so important. And, um, one that is mentioned often is comp titles. So what is a comp title and what are you looking for when it's used? So a comp title stands for either comparable or competitive. I've seen both used. And I also think that it, uh, it doesn't really matter however you think of it, if you just call it a comp. <laughs> um, so those titles help the author position their book. It helps you tell us the agent where you see this book sitting on shelves or who we might think about that's already published when we are considering taking on your book. So if you tell us that the book is for fans of XYZ, that's gonna tell us, okay, like readers that loved these books or these authors, they're gonna love yours. 
Or if you tell us you could take a different approach, you could say it's X meets Y, and that's one title meets another or one author meets another. And that also gives us a sense for what kind of story we're talking about. And that's useful editorially, but it's also useful in terms of market because we need to not just know what kind of book, but where it would sit on a shelf and who we would try to sell it to when it comes time for submission to publishers. And I've, I've, I've heard this um, answer answered very differently from, from agents, but I'm curious in your take on the comp titles, how recent should they be? For children's books, I would suggest in the last published in the last two to three years. And for adult titles, I would say in the last four to five, that might sound like a very small window. But if you think about it, if a book came out today, it was sold probably about two years ago. So if we're talking about a book that's three years old, it was actually written five years ago. So with children's books in particular, because kids are constantly growing up and aging out of the category, we need to stay on top of what kids are buying now, not what kids are buying five years ago, because those kids are now maybe 18, maybe they're adults. So it's a smaller window for children's books. It's a slightly longer window for adult books. There are always exceptions. If you have this perfect comp title that's a little older, maybe you use that one, but I would suggest also using something that's more recent because it shows us that not only do you know what's out there, but you are current with what you're reading. Right. And you had mentioned the um, X meets Y aspect of comp titles. So would it be off-putting to you if somebody had written, say, a YA fantasy and they were they were like, it's like Harry Potter meets, and then they, they cite something current. So you've got something very old there that's well-known versus something current. Would that still work for you? I would say my issue with that isn't so much that it's old and well-known. It's that it's so massive that it's been rendered almost meaningless. Mm -hmm. I think there are more recent and more specific uh, options that you could choose if what you're trying to say is it's a magic school um, or it's a series. There are just different ways to do that. But let's say you were looking for a big, a, someone, a book that it's old and feels like a classic, but has the same feeling. Maybe you say it's Lois Lowry meets X. And I think that gives you a sense for the type of story without saying it's this massive bestseller. <laughs> so I think having something slightly longer can, or excuse me, slightly older can work, but you need to really earn that comp title and make it, I need to believe that that's the best comp title and not just a famous comp title. Right. Gotcha. All right. Well, we, we've talked about genre and, um, you know, every, every agent represents a wide range usually of, of genres, but um, in the query letter, when you're citing genre and word count, um, how accurate does a writer need to be when they cite a genre for their work? I think it needs to be as accurate as they can make it, but that doesn't mean you can't make a mistake. So if you were, for instance, to say it's a sci-fi with horror elements, and I was to say, I think it's a horror novel that has sci-fi elements. I'm not going to like reject it. Right. But if you were to say it's a fantasy novel and I'm like, that, sir, is a sci-fi. <laughs> so that would be a problem. So right. be as accurate as you can. But I, I wouldn't panic if you get it wrong. Gotcha. And um, and with word count, no, obviously we want to be able to, to cite a word count in the query level in the query letter. But 
Um, my question is actually regarding to uh, word counts versus genre. Do you have a sort of mental mental checklist of, oh, of range for a genre or do you have flexibility in there? I see. Um, I do think that there are rough ranges to be aware of. There's a website uh, by another agent um, who goes by Literati Cat online and she has, uh, it's called Word Count Dracula. And she has some really fantastic age ranges there for, sorry, um, word count ranges based on age count or age range. What am I saying? <laughs> you get what I mean. Word yeah. count based on the age category. Um, right. And I, and I think so like age matters, genre matters. If it's, you know, 10K outside of those, ranges that's not the end of the world but if it's really extreme if you're writing a middle grade and it's 120,000 words or if you've written an adult romance but it's only 30,000 words like that kind of thing does matter and I do pay attention um and it's not just to be a stickler it's because there are certain expectations from readers they there is something to be said for like you need to have a certain um length and breadth of story that you can only accomplish if it's a certain length. Or if you write a book for children that's super long, that might be off-putting to them because they're not prepared for a read like that. So word counts really do matter and they do hinge on age and genre, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be rejected because your book is 5K too long. Right. Yeah, and, and you you cite something in there that I know I've I've said to to writers often, which is that there's this misconception that the word counts are are created and defined by the industry, when in fact they're actually defined by the readers and what they what they're willing to invest in. Yeah, I think that's true. It's why there are some books that can earn a much longer word count and still be acquired. Like because, you know, readers, there are readers out there that want real doorstop or fantasy novels, books that are four and 500 pages long. And the industry knows that those readers are out there. And so we make room for them. I do think it is important to keep in mind, though, that the thicker a book is, the more expensive it is, not just because it's more paper, but because it takes up more shelf space and therefore they can shelf fewer of them. And that means selling fewer of them. They're heavier for shipping. Like we do care about those ranges and we're not going to be willy nilly accepting books that are long for the sake of being long. But we also recognize that some books need to be longer than others. And we try to make space literal and figurative for all of those. Right. No, that's a, that's a good point and something that definitely people need to take into account as it goes from, from reader to how much space it takes on the shelf. That's, that's why these exist. So Cool. And I think um, if I can yeah. add one more thing about word yeah, count. Yeah, please, please. I've do. had a lot of conversations about word count um, with writers on Twitter, and which is always a dodgy thing to do. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but I've I've had people be really frustrated about the idea that there could be a word count rage. They feel like it's stifling. And while I can understand that from a purely artistic point of view, I think it's important to remember that publishing is business. And if you want to give your book the best chance of being, you know, agented and acquired and sold and loved, you need to be aware of the constraints of the genre you're writing in. And you need to do your best to match those constraints. That being said, if you feel like your book does not fit into that traditional model and you cannot tell the story you're trying to tell within those constraints, 
I completely understand that, but you might have to look into other options for that book. Maybe it's with an indie press that specializes in really long books or really short books. Maybe you go self-publishing. I don't mean to say that do it our way or get out of here, but I do think that like we have to work together and find a way to make your story work for a traditional publishing audience. And sometimes that means that we have to deal with you writing a slightly longer book. And sometimes that means that you need to cut that fifth point of view. And it really just depends on the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, so moving on past word count, uh, we get into synopsis. And um, I, I guess my question here would be for you, how much synopsis do you want? Because there are various types of synopses. There's there's the the short form, and then there's a very, very long form that is that is, you know, multiple pages. I see. So when you say synopsis, are you, you're referring to just general, any the type same. of summary. Okay. Yeah. yeah I guess yeah. I think of it as like, there's the pitch, there's the elevator pitch, which is the really short one. There's the pitch, which is what goes in the query letter pitch mm -hmm. or summary. And then there's a synopsis, which for me is that like two to three plus page full document. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me the question again. Okay. So we'll talk about pitch um, since pitch reply applies to the query letter. Perfect. How much information do you want in the pitch? I'll start at the, I'll start backwards. I don't want you to give away the ending. I think that's okay. the thing everyone wants to know. I do not want you to give away the ending for the same reason that I don't want you to give away the ending on the first page of your book. If you want someone to read your book, don't give away the ending, right? So mm -hmm. if you want me to request this and feel like, oh God, I got to know how it happens, like what happens, how it all shakes out, don't tell me the ending. So I like the pitch to introduce a character, introduce what they want, tell me what the conflict is. Ideally, that's what's standing in the way of them getting what they want. And then tell me what the stakes of that story are. I actually have a blog post that I wrote in 2012 when I was an intern. If you look up my name and then the phrase, the dreaded novel summary, you can see <laughs> where I basically like wrote out everything that should go in a query summary. But I actually think there's a very easy formula that every novel fits into. And if you're finding it impossible to distill yours down into a query, I actually think it's because you got too much going on in that book. Or you're not identifying what the main uh, thread of the book is. So for me, what has to be in there, character, conflict, stakes. Okay. That gets it down to a, to the bare minimum. Yeah. It's, and I um, can do a lot in there. It's, it's not just a bullet point. Like those three things are the skeleton of the pitch, but you also mm -hmm. have to thread in a little bit of personality, a little bit of world building. Um, but those are the three things that if they're not in there, you have not written a pitch. Yeah. And, and, and personality, AKA voice is very important in these query letters. Um, I know we. I, I've had some very long conversations with writers about what it means to have voice in your writing. Uh, what does it mean in a query letter? It's a good question because I don't think it means the query needs to sound exactly like the voice in your book. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean right in the perspective of the character. It doesn't mean if you've written a horror novel that the pitch has to be scary. But it does mean that the per your personality, the personality of the book needs to come through. So if you've written a horror novel, you're probably not going to write, unless it's a funny horror novel, you're not going to write like a snappy, funny pitch. You're going to write a more atmospheric pitch and vice versa. If you've written a rom-com, like it should be voicey. It should sound a little bit like a rom-com. Um, 
but it again it doesn't mean that it needs you need to write a mini rom-com so voice is something i think that sort of bolsters the pitch for the book it doesn't necessarily define it gotcha okay um and and then the last one that i have here is uh biographical information um how much do you want to know about the writer in a query letter and how much is too much i think short and sweet if you've published tell me the titles if you haven't published that's not a big deal you can but you have to have a bio line so you can just say like you know so and so lives in x city with their dog this is their debut novel like it it mm-hmm. does not need to be big um only include things that are absolutely relevant so that means like if you have written a sci-fi novel and you have a marine biology degree that informed this like underwater book you've written, then like mention the degree, but we don't need a long bio. We need a couple lines and that's it. Does it matter to you at all if somebody is a member of writing organizations like like Broadly, for instance? Do you want, would it help if they cited that to sort of show that they're active in the writing community? Yeah, to me, that's not a make or break inclusion, but it does tell me this person is involved in their writing community. They care about craft. They are not writing in a vacuum. Sometimes people say like, I'm a member of the XYZ writing group in Portland. And I'm like, I'm not going to sign you because of that. But it is nice to know you have a an established critique group that you are used to working with. It just shows me you are like, you're taking this seriously. You didn't just write this on a whim. You are trying to make a career out of this. And I do appreciate that. Cool. All right. Well, we've got we're going to get into some examples here. Um, and as I said at the beginning, you've you've gotten us a, a couple of uh, samples of clients who sent you a query letter that impressed you. And so um, I'm going to read them and uh, and then have you give us your take on it at this point or to tell to let us know what worked for you in that particular query letter. Great. All right. The first one that we've got is a middle grade query from a debut author. Dear Lauren Spieler. Howler's Hollow has been a magical dead spot for a century, a fact that has kept Delpho O'Leary's witching family safe from persecution and magical conflict for several several generations. Conjure is strictly off-limits. Trouble is, if there's anything that makes Delpho's skin crawl, it's accepting limitations. When she finds her grandmother's secret book of hexes, her deep ambition gets the better of her, and she can't wait to test the boundaries of her own magic. She hopes to prove herself powerful, the kind of powerful that doesn't feel helpless after her father's abandonment. But what Katie Bird Hearn, the descendant of a rival witch family, demands Delpha share the secret, or when Katie Bird Hearn, the descendant of a rival witch family, demands Delpha share the secret of her skills, tempers flare. The fledging witch's quarrel unleashes a hex that resurrects a graveyard full of their magical ancestors, along with an age-old blood feud. Delpha and Katie Bird, along with the help of Tyler, a young Appalachian werewolf, must find a way to reverse the spell before the magic-building zombies wreak dangerous havoc in their small mountain community. But each of the teens has their own personal demon to overcome. Katie Bird must conquer the fear that her intersex body will cause her family's matriarchal magic to reject her. Tyler, well, Tyler just needs to stop fainting every five minutes. And as a strange family member surface and rattle her independent nature, Delpha needs to learn that sometimes the strongest magic happens when you're in cahoots with another conjure woman. If they don't succeed, the cycle of witch hunting and feud violence their kin fought hard to end will begin spinning once more. Caddy Wumpus is an upper middle grade fantasy complete at 52,000 words. Thank you so much, Ashvan Otterdu. So personally, I think a better question is what doesn't work about this query? Right. I, I really just think it nails everything. 
the thing that reading it now for the first time, I mean, I think I signed this book in 2017 or 2018. So it's been a while. Mm -hmm. The thing that jumps out at me is that it's so voicey. The voice in the book comes through and it's because it has this like very textured Southern voice um, that is the author's voice and is the voice of these characters. But I think they also pick specific phrases that just come with a lot of voice. So instead of saying magic is off limits, they say conjure. So like word choice can make a big difference. Um, I'll also say that in the third paragraph, like they refer to Tyler as a young Appalachian werewolf, but in the book, and I think that's because it makes it clear what Tyler is, but in the book, they actually call Tyler a snarly yow, which is- uh-huh favorite phrase for a werewolf I've ever heard a snarly right. yeah but, so but, but but would absolutely not work in this query letter exactly because I'd be like what is a snarly yow um so that's the thing that really jumps out at me it, is just how voicey this is and how fun it is and it really does match the read which is impressive um but to go back I think beyond voice if we start at the top every single character has something that they want And then we find out what's in the way. And then we find out what's at stake. Like it hits all of those, those Mm -hmm. things that I said that we needed. So we get introduced just to kind of walk through it a little bit. We get introduced to the world, Howler's Hollow. And we're told that it's a magical dead spot, which has kept Delpha O'Leary safe. But it's also got in the way of her doing magic, which is what she wants to do. And we learn by the end of that paragraph that part of what she the reason she wants to do magic it's not just because she wants to do magic it's because she wants to feel powerful because right now what she feels is helpless after her father abandoned her so we get information about this character we get information about you know that wound that's in them and we find out what it is that they want and then we move to the next character katie bird and we find out that it's there's a rival like there's a rivalry here um and that they also want to be able to do wit, do magic, but that there's conflict between the two kids. Um, and we also meet Tyler. And I will say that Tyler here, it seems like has a POV. And we ended up editing that out um, once we sold the book to Scholastic. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> because we we all agreed that the two uh, girls were the main characters. And Tyler was an excellent supporting character, but didn't necessarily need to have a POV. So I think... She, I think Ash has just done a great job of setting up like these two characters and what they both want. And then the conflict, um, trying to find the line there in that third paragraph. Um, Basically they do, or sorry, the second paragraph, like they do this magic that accidentally resurrects a graveyard full of their magical ancestors. Um, And if you read the book, what you find out is that all those ancestors wake up and they go right back to feuding. So now we have all these zombies fighting one another and the two kids have to work together. So I just think you get a really clear idea of the story, a clear idea of the voice, a clear idea of what's at stake because now we have like fighting zombies and obviously that can't go on. Um, So yeah, I just think they did a great job. And you'll also notice there's actually no bio here. And there's there's no bio and um, there was something else that I was going to put here. Um, There's no comp comp titles. Yeah, no bio, no comp titles. Yeah. And you know, like if I were to give advice, if if I were to meet Ash at a writing conference, I'd say, Adelina Bio, what are your comp titles? Like I would encourage them to include those, but it didn't get in the way because it sounded great. 
Yeah, which which is an interesting example that you have here is like we went and cited all the things that you need to have in a query letter, and yet here we have a, a, a query letter that is strictly pitch and and what genre it is and word count, and that's it. Um, and, yeah, and I and, actually and think those, and yeah, the two things we're missing are the two things you can do without it in a pinch. If the author doesn't isn't already published, then like, do we really need a bio? Mm -hmm. Really. Um, and if they didn't include comp titles where, well, I, I mean, I can come up with comp titles. Mm -hmm. So really like, and, and again, it doesn't mean that I don't think you should include them. I think that would have made this even more compelling, mm -hmm. but, but I also think if you absolutely can't figure out comp titles, you know, as long as you have a really great pitch. Yeah. You yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is nail the pitch. That's what, that's your focus. Nail the pitch. Absolutely. Cool. And, and what did this end up publishing as title wise? The title is indeed Caddy Wampus okay. by Ash Van Otterloo. It is a Scholastic book. Um, it's the first of three middle grade novels that they did with Scholastic. And it really is fantastic. Okay, cool. Well, um, let's move on to one more. And, and this one actually opens up one more question for me or for you. Um, and it has to do with uh, you meeting writers out in the world or in the social media space, um, uh, whether it's at a conference or in this particular case, pitch wars. Um, when you have already had a conversation with somebody about their book, what do you want them to note that in the subject line of uh, an email to you? So I use Query Manager, so I don't have the traditional subject line, but I mm -hmm. think I have some field that says like referred by or conference. There's there's usually something, but if there if you can't figure that out or if I am mistaken and that's not there, it does belong in the very first paragraph of the query. Um, gotcha. You can say, you know, dear Lauren, it was so great meeting you at the Broadleaf Writers Conference. You encouraged me to submit to you. So I'm here and excited to show you blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and sometimes I didn't actually request it. You just maybe met me and you could say, it was really great meeting you at Broadleaf. Here is my manuscript, you know? So I think those details are a good idea. I mean, they can only help not hurt. Right, gotcha. All right, well, this one is a debut YA query um, from Pitch Wars. And before we start, one funny thing about this, yes. you'll notice once you start writing that the author, uh, Erica Waters, does not actually say, you requested this at Pitch Wars. And that's because I didn't. She queried me cold after I did not request. And I have no idea why I didn't request it because as soon as I saw this query, which we're all about to read, mm -hmm. it's clearly like perfect for me. Right. But, but you know, that it just goes to show that like a regular old query can get the job done. Yeah. Take it away. Alrighty. Dear Lauren, when her daddy died in a car crash, 16-year-old Shady Grove Crawford thought he took his ghost-raising fiddle with him. Now, with the pine woods outside her trailer filling with eerie bluegrass music and restless spirits, Shady is certain daddy's fiddle is calling to her from beyond the grave. Then her brother is arrested for murder, and Shady knows she must find the fiddle to prove his innocence and discover the real killer. He forms a bluegrass band with her secret crush, Sarah, and a rodeo boy who's trying to swagger his way into her heart. Together, they set out to raise the dead. But instead of finding truth, Shady conjures up the shadow man, the vengeful spirit that destroyed daddy's life and has now laid claim to hers. To free herself from its deadly grip, Shady must unearth the fiddle's dark origins and uproot the shameful past daddy tried so hard to hide. If she doesn't, her brother will go to prison and Shady will follow her daddy to an early grave. Shady Grove, my little love, is a YA Southern Gothic, complete at 71,000 words. 
Jeff Zentner's The Serpent King meets Maggie. I can never say her last name. So I once watched a video where Maggie, while playing the playing the fiddle, I think actually says how to pronounce her name because uh-huh. no one knows how to pronounce his name. It's Steve, like the name, and then Otter, like the animal. Steve and if Otter, you haven't I, seen the video, you should look it up. It's very funny. I, I have met her and had conversations with her and I still can't pronounce her. Steve Otter. Okay, got it. Steve so Maggie, Otter. Steve Otter's the Raisin Boys. I am sorry, Maggie. <laughs> um, the Raven Boys. The novel has a by hashtag own voices, protagonist, and it was showcased in the 2017 Pitch Wars contest. Like Shady, I grew up in the pine woods of rural Florida, but now reside in Nashville, Tennessee, where I've learned to love bluegrass music and have even started learning banjo. I have a master's degree in English and teach writing courses at Belmont University. Previously, I worked as a content editor for Discovery Education. The first 10 pages are included below. The full manuscript and a synopsis are available upon request. Thank you so much for your time and consideration. Um. So... One might think listening to these two queries that I've chosen for today that I only represent Southern books and that is not the case, (laughs) but I do think that sometimes like a Southern voice is a, like a shortcut to world building or something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So this one, I mean, I, I remember reading this at the time. And like I said, at the top, like, I don't understand why I didn't request this originally because it's just like exactly my thing. Um, and I think it does a lot of the things that it needs to in terms of, you know, it has a very clear character, it has a conflict and it has the stakes. So we find out who Shady Grove is. Um, we know she's a girl who lives in the South, whose dad died in a car crash. Um, we know that she's being haunted by the fiddle that was lost when he died. We know that then the big conflict that happens is that her brother's arrested for murder. And if she's gonna prove that he's innocent she has to find that fiddle because the fiddle can call ghosts back and if they can raise that ghost they can ask who killed it and free her dad or excuse me free her brother so so we have this like you know present day conflict we have the backstory of her dad um and then we also have a romance here she has a crush on a girl she has a boy that's trying i love this line swagger his way into her heart um so it makes it clear that this is a bisexual uh love story um and then we also find out at the end like what the stakes are not we know the stakes for her brother he's been arrested for murder but we also find out the stakes for shady because if she doesn't uh find that fiddle and uproot the shameful past that her dad tried to hide then she is also going to follow him to an early grave so i just think this this pitch like does it all in these three paragraphs and then the rest of the query also gets it all done. It tells us that it's a YA Southern Gothic. I think we ended up pitching this as YA fantasy or YA contemporary fantasy. It tells us the word count. It gives us the comp titles, the Serpent King and the Raven Boys. I don't remember if we used those for submission, but I do think they're very good ones. I think the Serpent King gets us that sort of like southern realistic story and then the raven boys gets us the contemporary fantasy elements and then we also find out that it was in pitch wars and she was nice enough not to say which you ignored me during (laughs) (laughs) yes doesn't seem like that would be a very productive thing to say (laughs) no um and then we find out that she's also from rural florida she lives in nashville she tells us a little bit about the fact that she's learning banjo which you know, if this book was about something else might not feel relevant, but like it is a book that involves a fiddle. So it makes Mm -hmm. sense. 
Um, and she tells us a little bit about her past, her education and her past work. She probably could have cut those, but this bio, you know, it's like four lines long. It's a very short paragraph. Like it gives me a sense of who she is and it gets in and gets out. And that's really what I'm looking for. Yeah. And there's two things in the biographical information that I like, and actually one that's out, it's out, actually outside of the bio paragraph. And that is the, uh, the novel has a bi protagonist, but in the, in the parenthetical is hashtag own voices. So, you right. know, from that, that we're dealing with somebody who identifies as bi. And I think that's a, a, a nice way to, to place that in there. Yeah, and I then, agree. There, yeah. there has been some talk about whether um, uh, you'd have to, I mean, honestly, it's like an, it's a big topic that would require more time than we have on this podcast, but mm. whether you decide you want to include own voices or identify that way in a query, I think that's very personal. So I would never say you must out yourself to me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I agree with you that it did put my mind at ease that this is a story that's coming from her experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then um, I loved the um, comparing her life to Shady's. Like, like Shady, I grew up in the pine woods of rural Florida. Um, as it really, really connects the writer to the character. Yeah. And it, and you would, you believe her too, because there's so much voice in there in that query. Yeah. 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 Like Ash, like the Caddy Wampus query. I think both of these are, are perfect examples of how voice can permeate a query without taking over. Mm -hmm. Kind of outside of this particular query, but I was just thinking, um, since we're dealing with a very specific examples of the Serpent King meets the Raven Boys, um, how do you deal with a, a pitch like that when maybe you don't know the title yourself? Well, I have Google. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just, just go to Google. Yeah. Dr. Google. Um, I'll sometimes I'll Google it, especially because I'm, I'm curious. And whenever someone names a book I haven't heard of, I'm like personally affronted. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> so I like to know I'm like a dragon hoarding information. So I usually will Google it. Okay. Um, but me not knowing a title, it does not have any bearing on like whether on anything really, you know, if yeah. I look at that title and I'm like, I don't understand why you chose this. That's a problem. Um, I think that when you choose a title, it should be apparent very quickly why it's been chosen. As soon as the person looks it up, right. I've had conversations with people that have said like, you know, they'll choose a query or excuse me, a comp title. And I ask them why. And they're like, Oh, well, there's, there's also, you know, a, a brother in that book or it's also, you know, set in the South. And I'm like, okay, but that wasn't immediately obvious because it's not what I think of when it comes to whatever that book is. So mm -hmm. I think when you choose comps, if you're going to choose a comp that feels like it's not obvious, you need to tell us why you're choosing it. So you can say, you know, the lyricism of Jeff Zentner meets the magical contemporary story of Maggie Stiefvater. In this case, those things are obvious, but if it's not obvious, then I would recommend being more specific about why you're choosing it. Gotcha. Now, this one in the query letter is is listed as Shady Grove Middle Love. Is that what it got published as? No, it was published by Harper Teen under the title Ghostwood Song. It is the first of four books that Erica has published, and she really is a talent. So I hope everyone will check it out. Oh, cool. That's good. That's good. Um, which, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're already going to be going to a bookstore or a library anyway, because you've got to find comp titles. So look these titles up. You've heard the queries. You, you've you've heard the pitch and, um, you know, get a good idea of what the story is versus what the pitch looks like. Yeah. And I think it could also be an interesting exercise to look at how the publisher pitched the book. Because one thing to keep in mind when it comes to pitching is that your audience really matters. And 
in the case of these queries, the audience is an agent, but we wouldn't say necessarily like own voices and from Tennessee, like those things might not make it onto the back of a book. So familiarizing yourself with the way di different books are pitched to different audiences and what kind of audience you're really focusing on, depending on the pitch you're writing. Yeah. And that seems like a, uh, a really wonderful point to end on since we are out of time. Um, obviously, these things could go so much longer because there's so much information to cover. But um, whether I do it's a good enough point or not, we're ending. Uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> Hopefully it was helpful. Um, but um, thank you very much for, for your time. Um, I definitely appreciate your expertise on the situation and hopefully it will have been of some help to some folks. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I hope everybody listen will check out those books, Caddy Wampus by Ash Van Otterloo and Ghostwood Song by Erica Waters. And you can find me on Twitter or on Publishers Marketplace. And you took the words right out of my mouth as far as where they can find you. So um, also laurenspeeler.com and um, Publishers Marketplace is a really great place to go to um, to look for agents and to look up wish lists and things like that. So highly recommend. All right. Well, thank you, Lauren, and um, take care, and I uh, hope we talk to you soon. Thanks, Zach.